This is Ava Constant with the South Texas Stories podcast. Today, I will be sharing stories of my father about growing up in South Texas. My father, Anthony Constant, was born in Galveston, Texas on August 13, 1947, and grew up in Victoria, Texas. On today's episode, you'll hear about his experiences from an oral history I did with him back in September which discusses growing up in the aftermath of World War II and how he witnessed the progression of civil rights of the civil rights movement in South Texas. It is important to share these experiences through a child's eyes because many children live through historic events and fail to realize it. Learning how to reflect on the events of our childhood can help us recognize when change is needed especially when we may not be directly affected. Knowing that others in our community, such as friends, teachers, and people we pass by every day, are often impacted by things such as discrimination and systemic racism, can make us more empathetic and help us better combat these issues. My father's family lived in America for generations. He is of mixed European ancestry English, French, German, and Greek. I asked my father to describe his nuclear family. Uh, well, my, <clears throat> my parents were, uh, your grandparents, were Margaret Lehman and Dr. George Andrew Constant, M.D. My mother was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, the big city in Nebraska. My father was born and raised in Grand Island, Nebraska, which is about 150 miles out west from Omaha and it is a tiny town. He lived out in the country. My only sibling, Nicholas, was born there, in Omaha that is, in 1941. Uh, they moved, the family moved to Galveston, Texas when my father began his internship in psychiatry at John Seeley Hospital where I was born in 1947. Five years later, my father began his private practice specializing in psychiatry and neurology in Victoria, Texas, population 11,000. So it was a tiny little place, and it was very uh, odd uh, that they would have a psychiatrist. And in fact, it was such an unusual thing that in 1958, he got invited to go to the University of Notre, Notre Dame to give a speech about it and about his experience. Uh, and he took the whole family, we all went up there, it was a great time, we got to go to a football game. And uh, it was kind of neat because he was famous, for a moment anyway. Um, so, and the, so the other thing I want to tell you about the family was the way we got down to Texas, the reason we ended up there was because uh, Dad had a, uh, had, a, had a serious disease and finally they told him he should go south uh, and do something easier than what he was studying. And then he was in an internship to be a neurosurgeon and uh, at the time the folks thought uh, he'd be better off uh, doing psychiatry because they imagined that those people were just sitting around all the time and that if you went south because it was warmer uh, that that would be good for him. And 
So that's how we ended up at the University of Texas, John City Hospital in Galveston, Texas. I asked my father about how he spent his playtime as a baby boomer. I found that my father's favorite games, other than sports, were indoor games about war. Yeah, we, <clears throat> we spent a lot of time uh, with war games, and uh, both in and out of the house. But I had a board game that I liked a lot that uh, recreated Civil War battlefields and allowed players to be the general in charge of the army and fight the battle all over again. So you would start uh, from a certain time and you'd have all the exact troops and regiments uh, and divisions that were actually there with their names on it and uh, the terrain and so forth. And you just, you started all over again so you could, if you were really good, uh, the rebels might actually win. And the thing that I thought, I think the reason I liked it so much, one, I like tactics, but it was my favorite game because of the importance of Gettysburg and the war's outcome. And also the romance that Lincoln's address at Gettysburg placed upon it. That is one of the great speeches of all time. But most importantly, and I think this is kind of cool, because my great-grandfather, actually he was my, yeah, I always get this sort of, I'm really strange about this, but he was my great-grandfather, was a Union soldier in that battle. He was a teenager, like me, when I was playing the game. I got his war records, and I knew his unit, and I knew when he had been with the unit in the field, and I had seen with my own eyes the drums and flags carried by his regiment at the Battle of Gettysburg. He was 16 years old at the time. Unlike most children at that time, my father attended a boarding school in middle and high school. He boarded at St. Edwards in Austin, Texas during middle school and boarded in high school at Georgetown Preparatory preparatory school in Garrett Park, Maryland. I asked him about his boarding school experiences, and he said, Well, it's a bit like the famous book where the boys are all on an island by themselves, children, and they behave very badly. <laughs> What's the name of that book? Lord of the Flies? Yes, Lord of the Flies. It is somewhat like that. Not quite, you know, that dramatic, that crazy, but the well, there's lots of continuous infighting amongst the boys. That was kind of all it was about. And tribalism in the form of picking sides and belonging to groups. And that was sort of the central activity uh, for the kids that uh, were boarders at that school. Well, at school, my father often participated in other rowdy activities. Well, he wanted to make sure it didn't get boring. so. I got in fights just for fun, not because I was mad at anybody. It was something we did, and I don't know exactly why, some kind of male stupidity, but we would take umbrage at something somebody said or something they did, and then we'd challenge them to a fight. We didn't just fight right then. Uh, like if we were mad, we said, you know, I'll meet you behind the barn. And then after school, of course, and then we'd go have the fight, and all my buddies would come help me out. One time I was going to have a fight uh, and one of my buddies brought me 
brass knuckles. Wow, I'd never seen those, but I put them on under my gloves because my friend was pushing me to do it. But then I couldn't do it. I just couldn't use them because they were, you could really hurt somebody with them and I, I didn't want to hurt him. And uh, so I took them off. I didn't do too well in the fight. I, I would have done better with the brass knuckles. Uh, the guy I was fighting, his name was Paul. Golly, Paul's name escapes me at the moment, likes lots of names these days. But over time, he and I became very good friends. Uh, I used to go visit him, uh, stay at his house in uh, San Antonio. After high school, he got drafted and sent to Vietnam. Paul Blunt was his name, B-L-U-N-T. Uh, Paul never came home. Well, he never came home alive anyway. The schoolyard fighting and the Vietnam fighting, to me, they seemed like they were part of the same male stupidity. Uh, the fighting established a pecking order. And that's all they were about, both of them, both the kids in the schoolyard in the United States and the battle in Vietnam. How are you touched by racial segregation? Segregation was normal. Um, I knew it was just the way things are, as if it was natural. For a long time, I didn't know there was anything wrong with it and, and didn't personally experience it until the day Seymour wasn't allowed to enter a restaurant with us. Seymour Scott was a World War II veteran who risked his life for the United States of America in the European sector as an army grunt. He earned a Purple Heart. Seymour worked for our family in whatever capacity the day called for as a chauffeur, a waiter, a yardman, or whatever handyman skills were needed. He was driving me, my brother, and my mother from Victoria to Houston when we stopped to eat at Heinz's Barbecue in Horton. Nick and I ran inside to play our favorite pinball machine. When I noticed after a while that Seymour wasn't inside with us, I went out to find him. Seymour was maybe my best friend. He was standing as if guarding our car. He was very well dressed in a gray suit with a pocket square complete with a fedora, uh, the kind of hat that you'd see Gregory Peck in in the movies. And uh, he explained he couldn't go into the restaurant because it did not serve coloreds. I didn't understand that. It made no sense. It made me angry. But I accepted it, as we all did, as Seymour did. But as a teenager, I began to see people on TV who did not accept it and who took action to change our country. The civil rights movement was very exciting for me and my generation as we imagined we had the power to change things, that we did not have to accept the rules handed down to us by bigots. When John F. Kennedy was elected president in 1960, we were imbued with the excitement of this belief. And we worked hard to elect as Vice President Lyndon Baines Johnson as president on the promise that he would push the civil rights agenda. I spent untold hours every day in the fall of 1964 going door to door 
to identify as partisans and talk to them to get them to the polls on election day. LBJ did manage against all odds to pass, the, pass into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that outlawed discrimination in public accommodations, including, most importantly to Seymour and my father, the right to walk together into a restaurant and have a meal together in a public space for all to see, just as every other person could do. And could make it to 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>